นโมทัสสะภะคะวะโตอะระหะโตสัมมาสัมพุทธัสสะนโมทัสสะภะคะวะโตอะระหะโตสัมมาสัมพุทธัสสะนโมทัสสะภะคะวะโตอะระหะโตสัมมาสัมพุทธัสสะพุทธังธรรมังสังฆังนามสามิเมื่อเราเอาความสุขไปในสิ่งที่เราไม่ได้ทำเราก็จะเอาความสุขไปในสิ่งที่เราไม่ได้ทำเราก็จะเอาความสุขไปในสิ่งที่เราไม่ได้
then it enhances our valuing of this opportunity, but it doesn't it doesn't become split off from our everyday life. It's not something that that is uh, remote or um, separate from our day-to-day living. So being careful as we begin the retreat with how special we make this occasion or how special we make any experience we may have. Also, if I could uh, just give a word of warning about um, uh, being in too much of a hurry. Uh, So it is a, a, a special, different sort of situation we're in here. Most of us are busy doing all sorts of things in our active lives. You probably more active than we are, but nevertheless we're all a lot more active than we are this week. And then suddenly, Saturday night, 7.30, we stop. We stop talking, stop doing a lot of the busy things that make our lives so active, and close our eyes and look inwards. Now, that's quite a strange thing to do, really. If you've done a few retreats, you can almost become habituated in doing that. Say, oh, on retreat, sit down, bang, close your eyes, and you've got to get in there and do this retreat thing. You know, make the mind quiet and have some insights, make good use this week and go away refreshed. And But uh, if, we're, if we're in too much of a hurry to do this, then it actually undermines the good effort that we're making. So if I could just give a word of warning about any any sense of being in a hurry, but rather allowing the process of settling to take place naturally. To, to allow this retreat to do us. Uh, to Instead of me doing the retreat, let the retreat do me. Instead of me practicing Dhamma, let Dhamma sort me out. Instead of me realizing Dhamma, I simply offer myself into Dhamma, I offer myself into reality, and then allow what happens to happen. Because yeah. it can be very tempting. You say, oh, thank goodness we've got away from the television, away from the telephone, away from the emails, and, and get on retreat and, and give myself to this meditation practice, and, and uh, we can be in too much of a hurry. So, just as a word of caution to Feel the the week unfolding together. Now sometimes talking like this, people feel that uh, I'm I'm speaking against making determined effort. Now I'm certainly not speaking against making determined effort. It's just the timing uh, to to be very careful how we apply ourselves. Not just the application, but how we apply ourselves. It's not so much what we're doing, but how we're doing what we're doing. Mm. Setting this time aside and, and being quiet and, and really giving emphasis to the natural sense of interest we have in Dhamma, the interest we have in seeing clearly and, and freeing our hearts and minds from the distortions and disfigurements of greed, aversion and delusion, valuing this, but that's enough actually to to trust in that and allow what happens to happen.
Now, when we do feel settled, when we feel that sense of being really present on our cushion, really present in our place, or feeling the sense of being in the body, with our feelings, with the mind, together, collected, alive, alert. With that sense of presence comes a, a feeling recognition of preparedness. I feel prepared. Now one of the questions that I've been asked this evening, there's three questions here, and one of the questions that's been asked is, if we're encouraged to let our thoughts just pass through the mind in this insight meditation, how do we actually investigate without getting into analytical thinking, without getting caught up in analytical thinking? Well, it's to do with the sense of preparedness. Uh, we actually, if we go into this as a whole body mind, instead of splitting off from our body and, and identifying with our idealistic, willful notions of fixing ourselves and changing ourselves and hammering away at a meditation object and then, then wondering, you know, how do I do this, how do I do that? Rather, if we allow ourselves to settle naturally into a quietude of body-mind that arises out of carefully, consciously, being in the present moment in a non-judgmental way, then the awareness that arises then actually tells us. We actually know. Now, it's a perfectly good question, but it arises out of a feeling of, of not knowing uh, how, to, how to investigate thinking without getting caught up in it. And when the mind is naturally peaceful, then there is that knowing. There's a sense of, I'm ready to do this. You can be there in stillness, in clarity, and then along comes some, some memories from the past. And you recognize them as something that needs attention. You've not looked at it before. Of course, if it's something you've looked at before and you know what it is, well, then you just don't look at it. And it goes away, which is what it's supposed to do. But if it's something that you've not looked at before, you don't know what it is, and it looks like it's asking for attention, and you offer attention to it, if we're prepared, if we're ready, then we know at that point, we know we're ready. If we have arrived at our state of stillness in an organic, natural way, and this is why I, I speak in, courage, in encouragement of going cautiously, going gradually, not trying to make our mind peaceful so that we can get on with this vipassana, insight meditation, and sort out our defilements and have an insight, but rather respectfully offering ourselves into the moment and moment by moment allowing the mind and heart and body to become peaceful and collected so that when the distractions arise and we offer attention to them, we can read for ourselves, we can tell for ourselves whether we're ready or not. 
we can tell if you start to feel like we're getting caught up and then the mind starts proliferating and it's like this, it's like that, it could be like this, it could be like that, why was it like this, why wasn't it like that, maybe it's going to be like this, maybe it's going to be like that in the future and I wonder what the causes were and we, you know, it's 20 minutes before we actually come back again and we've investigated, you know, psychologically, astrologically, psychically, karmically, physiologically, biochemically, all the possible reasons for this, the arising of this mental distraction. And that is not contemplation. Uh, There's a big difference between contemplation and proliferation. Uh, There's, um, in in Pali, the word uh, sangwara, it means restraint and or containment, I think is perhaps a better word. Now, if the restraint of the senses is not not properly developed, then when an attractive sense object arises, or an irritating sense object arises, the heart energy just goes out after it. Now, whether this is a, a sight that stimulates us, or a sound that stimulates us, or a sensation, or a taste, or a smell, or a mental object. Whatever object arises in any of the six sense doors, if we haven't prepared ourselves properly, if we don't have that sense of containment, of being held, not held in, not straight-jacketed, we're not talking about straight-jacketing ourselves, but containing ourselves, if we haven't prepared ourselves with this sangwara, with this containment or this restraint, then when the sense object arises, the heart goes out and latches onto it and becomes caught up in it. Yeah. I'm sure we're all familiar with this. My, my current one, I'll confess to you, is the design of the extension to the retreat house. I've spent half of today proliferating painfully about you know the shape and the size and even the colour. And Tanabinanda doesn't like painted wood, and that's a problem. I, I like painted wood. And I was the, uh, half of the room was going to be painted wood, and yesterday I found that Tanabi Nanda doesn't like painted wood, and so I've been rethinking the project. And and we've got to go for new planning permission because we're going to extend the office area, and we're going to shorten this area, and we're going to excavate further. And the plan is, you know, these these things have to go off to the architect in the next few days. And and so although I'm on retreat and supposed to be you know, getting subtle and quiet. Actually, half the day has been spent proliferating, not contemplating, proliferating about it. It's going to be beautiful, I can assure you. It will be beautiful. But I may not be beautiful by the time it happens. <laughs> I could be a wreck. <laughs> now, this is a this is something that happens to disturb my mind. I, I, I get off on this kind of thing. If I, if I wasn't a monk, I probably would have become an architect or something. I... I was, when I was brought up, I was supposed to be reared as a preacher, but my preference was to be an architect. And anyway, here I am as a preacher, proliferating about being an architect. <laughs> and it's not contemplation, it's distraction, and it's painful. Even though it's beautiful, it will be beautiful, that room will be absolutely beautiful. People will go and go, <gasps> you know, they will, I'm sure, but... Do I have to get caught up in it in the process? I don't have to if there's containment. Now, I'm confessing this to you because it's not a major 
problem. It's something I can handle and I'm somewhat familiar with. Uh, there are other obsessions that we get caught up with, like resentment or fear, that uh, are bigger problems. Mm-hmm. We, we think that meditation equips us with the ability to investigate, to see into and beyond the way things appear to be, to the reality until letting go happens and then there's peace. That's our faith, that's our conviction, that's why we're practicing this, this Buddhism because we trust in that process. Insight, meditation, seeing into, like you know, one of the names of the Buddha, Loka Widu, because the Buddha was somebody who could, he knew the world. Now he didn't just know the world because he went to university, the best university in India, and knew all about the world. No, he didn't know about the world. He knew the world because he knew the world Loka with Widu, that is with insight, knowledge. He knew the world and he knew beyond the world. He knew the reality of the world. And that's what our practice is about, is knowing the reality of all that arises in our experience, the world. However, if we're not properly prepared, if we haven't prepared our awareness in a skillful and wise way, that when the world manifests, whether it's in the visual world, the audio world, the olfactory world, the taste world, the sensational world or the mental world, whatever of the six realms of existence might manifest, we get caught up in it. The whole thing of talking about transcending the world is not, you know, flying up with the angels and, and not feeling or seeing or smelling or tasting anything, but seeing, feeling, smelling and tasting and cognizing, but not being defined by the world. So we have a faith and a confidence in this possibility but the, the trick, the skill, is how to prepare ourselves so that the effort we make is effective. Uh, again, uh, the reason I'm, I'm encouraging of not being in too much of a hurry is because if we try to do things before we're properly prepared, then we do get caught up. And we can sometimes get caught up for a long time. Some of you might have come across an interview or a, a, a reported um, talk that Ajahn Chah gave where he talks about getting caught up in a, in a mental state for two years. This was an awful condition that he got caught up in. He was in his meditation, he had the experience of crossing over a bridge. This is the experience he had. He, this is what it felt like. He, he was moving along, moving along. He came to a ravine and there was a bridge and he was crossing over it. It's difficult to talk about meditation experiences, but this is, when you put it into words, this is what it felt like. And halfway across the bridge, it just all disappeared. Suddenly there was nothing there. There was nothing there. It was just this, on the edge. And it was terrifying for him. And, and he, he, his, the way of trying to relate to it was to go back a bit and then to try again. And he came to the same point and he basically got stuck. Yeah. He got, he got caught up in the sensation of fear, of terror, of this uh, experience. And he was a very stubborn and, or you could say determined. His stubbornness was purified and became determination later on in his life. But originally he was very stubborn and, and um, so he stayed with it, trying to figure it out on his own. And it was two years of, of um, you know, really hard struggle being caught in this state every time he meditated. And because he got stuck in formal meditation in this state, when he came out in everyday life, as is the case, it was still disturbing him. 
maybe some of you are familiar with this, that you get caught up in something in meditation and it's like that programming gets put in that even when you come out into everyday consciousness, you're disturbed and you will remain disturbed until you actually go back to that same level and, and address it. And So for him, he wasn't actually ready to address it in the right way and got caught up in it. And it was two years before he found a teacher who, uh, Ajahn Louis it was, and he related to Ajahn Louis this this uh, predicament that he was in. And it was an interesting uh, talk that Ajahn Chah gave relating this. He was to Ajahn Louis started talking about the things that happened to him in meditation where where he had all sorts of sensations and experiences where he was doing walking meditation and and um, he got to the end of his walking meditation track and, and his experience, his subjective experience, was that he started sinking into the ground. That's what it actually felt like. And you know, he had no doubt about it because he could see where he was going into the ground. There was no doubt that he was sinking into the ground. And he said he doesn't know how far he sank, he just sank as far as you can sink. And then he started coming up again to the ground level. And then he saw his body going up. He saw, he experienced his body going up into the air and then it hit the trees. He was meditating on some trees, <laughs> as monks do. And uh, he hit the trees and then his whole body exploded. And he said he could see his intestines hanging over the, over the branches, the small intestines, the large intestines, were all sort of dangling off the branches. And he could see this happening. Uh, but, he said, he was prepared for this. And he just knew it for what it was. He didn't actually get caught up in it. He didn't believe it. He said, oh, in his mind there was a knowledge, this is the way it appears to be. It's just so. It just appears to be this way. So he didn't get caught in the fear. He didn't get caught in the terror. I mean, you know, if you saw your large and small intestines hanging off the branches, you'd expect to feel a little unsettled by that. <laughs> He didn't get unsettled because he was prepared with sati, with mindfulness, with restraint, with sangwara, so that he didn't get unsettled by it. So it was all right. So he was telling Ajahn Chah this, and Ajahn Chah says, well, that's fine for you, but what about me? You know, I've got this experience, and so Ajahn Chah related his experience, and Ajahn Louis said, well, you know, uh, you're not ready to go any further right now. He said, you've reached the edge of perception. Just the same as a child has a natural process of growing up, you know, a child who's very small sees this here as a as a toy and throws it around the room and, you know, thinks it's fun to play with and, you know, you say, look, that's not a toy, that's a clock. You know, when are you going to grow up? You don't, you know, you don't talk to a little kid like that, when are you going to grow up? You understand that the kid will grow up and will get to know that that's a clock and will treat it as a clock You know, just put it out of the way for the time being as a natural process. And so when you reach the edge of perception, Ajahn Louis was saying to Ajahn Chah, what do you do? You just wait there. You don't force it. If you're caught up in sorting it all out and, and, and you're not properly established in restraint, in containment, in contentment, in simple being in the present moment, if you're not properly prepared in that way, but you're caught up in this achieving mode and, and, and trying to sort things out, then when these kind of experiences happen, then actually you, you lose it and you start thinking. Or, well, we start thinking. Probably people with less complicated mental processes to us, they, they, they get caught up in their feelings. And this was Ajahn Chah's experience, the fear of suddenly everything falling away. We would probably go back into our childhood and try and find out what happened to us at you know, our birth trauma or something that 
brought about this experience. Uh, thinking, getting caught up in thinking, getting caught up in feelings, getting caught up in any reaction is actually a sign of our not being properly prepared yet. So if we offer ourselves into the training of meditation in a very patient, careful, skillful, conscious way, then the kind of stillness and readiness that develops for us is a whole body-mind readiness. It's an organic readiness. So if something arises, uh, whether it's a feeling or memory or fantasy or perception, and there's a question of what I do with this, should I investigate it? Am I ready? Am I not? I would suggest that there's an intuitive knowing whether we're ready or not. And if we don't feel ready, we don't deal with it. Sometimes there's a feeling of I've got to sort everything out, got to all get it all done, and you know <coughs> that that um, Protestant work ethic. You know, don't just leave it till tomorrow. Don't procrastinate. That's what my father used to always tell me. Don't procrastinate, son. Do it now. Don't leave it till tomorrow. Now that's very good, and I, I'm all for non-procrastination. I think procrastination is, uh, you know, that's, that can be a problem, but. Also, this uh, always feeling like we've got to get it sorted now can be a problem. And so sometimes the things that arise, you know, in meditation, we don't feel ready to deal with them. We just say, okay, not now. That's okay. Not now. It's this feeling of readiness that's all important. If we haven't prepared ourselves, if our sati, if our mindfulness is not strong enough, if our restraint is not strong enough and we try to engage in something that we're not ready for, it will take us over. We'll get defined by that. We'll get lost in it. We'll get caught up in it. And the consequences can be actually uh, not what we were looking for. Where's the problem? The problem is with our relationship, with the attitude, the way that we approach the objects of the senses. It's particularly vivid and and painful when it's it's something like resentment. The temptation to follow it. If somebody has done something that produces the experience of they hurt me. That's what it feels like. They hurt me. Or or they annoyed me. It's so tempting to follow it. It, The appearance of it, the worldly level, is the shimmering gold ball. I want to follow it. I want to follow it. That's what it feels like. But that's just, you know, the idea of when I get it, I'll be happier. This angry, angry feeling of if I've been hurt by you, you've hurt me. The feeling, the appearance is, if I follow it, it'll make things better. But the reality, the Dhamma is, that if I follow it, it makes things worse. 
and so the encouragement to cultivate restraint. Now, the word restraint doesn't doesn't have a good reputation. It, it feels like you're going to have to go without something that you like, you know, or it's like renunciation again, you know, the moral issues, you've got to give up the nice things in life and and blah, blah, blah. Now, if we can again, as I was speaking about last night, renunciation, if we can see it, consider it as, a, as an energy dynamic, with restraint likewise, that there are these objects of sense, the sight, sound, smells, taste, touches and mental impressions that, that arise and fool us. We get fooled by things. If we want to stop being fooled, then we have to inhibit the reaction. And this is what this is what renunciation, what restraint is about, is cultivating the inhibition of our reaction. And it can it can, it does take effort, and it can feel uncomfortable. But if we're consistent with it, if we're consistent with it, then it actually it becomes a habit. And again, this is not just the physical side of things. We're not just talking about being restrained, restrained physically or being renunciates physically. The physical gestures of renunciation or restraint are for the purpose of cultivating the inner disposition. And we start to, when we start to experience it for ourselves, then the pleasure arises. Then, then we see the benefit. Yeah. Some of you may have already heard me speak about the uh, experience. Well, last night I spoke about the experience of people who dropped their wooden stools on the, on the floor. Um, and um, I was asking people last night to be careful not to do that. You know, get off your, your, your wooden stool and put it down on the, on the cushion rather than the floor because of the noise that it creates. Uh, you may have heard me speak about an experience I had on retreat a few years ago, uh, sorry, a few months ago when in this hall here we had just the monastic community and there was a, a guest staying with us at the time who had turned up uh, at a time when when it was suitable to invite them to join the monastic community on retreat. And But it turned out that they actually weren't altogether familiar with the routine and there were a few little things that happened that weren't altogether harmonious. And, um, and then one day it, it culminated and we'd been on retreat for three or four days and I, I was sitting facing the shrine here and and then all of a sudden there was this clunk behind me as the person got off their meditation stool and thumped it down on the wooden floor. But the magic was that in that moment, whatever it was that brought it about, in that moment, instead of my mind going into proliferating about, she irritated me, it was about to, it was about to. I was about to get into. My goodness, why did I invite, invite her on retreat? I mean, she could. You know, I could have gone into a considerable proliferation about it. But in that moment, fortunately, there was enough restraint and enough mindfulness to be able to catch it and to see that actually she wasn't irritating me. I was irritating me, or I was about to, and I didn't. I not only stopped irritating myself. I actually felt really good. The pleasure of realizing that I'm responsible for irritating myself. There's a real pleasure in that. You know, I've got the power, I've got the authority to actually live in this world without being defined by the world, potentially. And that's good news. 
That's a delight to realize, because normally we, as I, you know, we've all experienced the feeling of, you know, you irritated me, you offended me, you hurt me. I can't live in this world, it's too painful. It does feel like that sometimes. But from a perspective of reality, there's, a, there's another possibility. So the practice of restraint, containment, and the encouragement for cultivating a steadiness of mind, a quality of presence in a, in a very gradual and organic whole body mind way is in service of this kind of insight. So that our habits of blaming the world or blaming other people or blaming full stop for our suffering can be undone. We can, we can seize through them. It's not that you know I solved my problem of blaming people, no way. But the Dhamma just works like that. That's just the way the Dhamma unfolds. So in response to this particular question about um, you know, we're encouraged to allow our thoughts to just pass through the mind, but how can we actually investigate them without getting caught up in analytical thinking? Well, if we prepare ourselves in a in a gradual way, then I would suggest <clears throat> I would suggest that that when we're ready, we'll know we're ready. We won't have to proliferate about it. We won't have to doubt about it. We won't have to think about it. Um, there's a couple of other questions. Um, one of them is um, something that. Um, I don't have time to look at tonight because it says, what are the four foundations of mindfulness? Now there's just, you know, just a, a few thousand words um, that need to be said on this and, and, and I can't even begin to give a pricey. Um, if, you, if you're really desperate and you can't wait till tomorrow morning, um, go to the library and get a book and read about it all night. But I'm, I, I confess, I, I don't want to. I don't want to do an injustice to the subject by trying to deal with it in five minutes. Um, but I will talk about it tomorrow. Um, and this other one: Do you feel it's more effective to have a relaxed retreat with short bits rather than a strictly enforced long sit, ten hours sitting a day? Yes. <laughs> That's that. <laughs> Thank you for your attention.